Hello and welcome. My name is Shanna Whitaker with Saltbox Church, and we are so excited you found us and are carving out some time for King Jesus. So I invite you to put your phones down, your to-do list away, and open your hearts to receive the Word of God. Good morning. I like worshiping. I love interacting with the Lord Jesus in worship. So I'm glad you're here with us. I want to look into the camera and say welcome. We're glad you're here as well. Um, we have been in the book of Acts. Um, I'm actually in Acts 16. We're going to look at uh, verse 11 through 40 today. Um, and then starting next week, what we're going to do is we're actually going to go into an Advent series. And Advent just means arrival. But uh, we're going we're gonna to do a formal kind of Advent series with a wreath and candles and the whole bit. So you can get ready for that uh, starting next week. And then we'll resume in the book of Acts sometime in the new year. Um, so turn, if you will, Acts 16. Um, and I'm going to look at Acts 16 through 1 John 4, 19. And Missy and Daniel, I don't know if y'all are back there and can hear this, but this is amazing. So 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So why do we love? Because he first loved us. Okay, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at Acts 16 um, and understand the pursuit of God um, in, in really three characters' um, lives that unfold in Acts 16, historical characters. Um, but it's uh, a lady named Lydia, um, a slave girl, and a jailer. And I want us to um, take a look at the pursuit of God um, over and in their lives until they ultimately um, begin a relationship with him. Does that sound good? And true to form, what I want you to do is I, as you're listening and as you're sort of uh, looking at your own Bible and circling and highlighting whatever you're doing or scrolling if you prefer, um, but I want you to begin to go where and how is God pursuing me? And my hope is that there'll actually be some sort of awakening, whether you're um, you know, an old seasoned saint and you've been with Jesus a long time, whether you're new, whether you're a doubter, whether you're an atheist, whether your life is in crisis, wherever you are, that you would actually begin um, to see perhaps with the lens of heaven or the eyes of of heaven that you could see God pursuing you in this moment, okay? Now, in order to most effectively do that, I want to bring you into a little situation that happened um, in my life this past week, okay? And the point of this is not to, um, it's, it's really not so much about my life, but it's so you can almost use the text and this little story I'm going to share as a springboard into your own journey with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> and there's some of you in the room who have stories that are 100 times worse than mine, and some of you who have stories, you'll go, oh my goodness, I can't believe they live in that. And that's okay, just be at peace. We're all at a different spot in our journey. <clears throat> so this past week, um, our little ones uh, were um, sick. So they weren't obviously not feeling well, and we have one that's a type 1 um, diabetic, and when she gets sick, um, her blood sugar is like all over the place. And so for Abby and I, that often means that the nighttime hours are spent um, watching a blood sugar, going in and administering insulin. And oftentimes we'll either give too much insulin or too little insulin. So we go back to bed and then 15 or 20 minutes later, we go back in and we give more insulin or we give juice because we've given too much insulin. And, it, and we're, we're like caught in this like yo-yo all the time. And so the first part of our, and the holidays are really hard because we're eating all sorts of sweet things and, you know, it just kind of is what it is. So the first part of our night, Abby and I are in that. And as um, in 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock rounds, Abby and I are starting to get a little bit grumpy. Can you imagine? It happens. <clears throat> all the time. In my imperfect heart and in our imperfect life. 
And uh, so finally we get Amelia down under um, a certain blood sugar, and uh, she is asleep, and we are drifting off to sleep. And then about three hours later, so it's like 3.30, 3.45, Ezra, uh, we have a little camera on him, he has like an asthma um, attack in, in the middle of the night. And whenever he's sick, that's what happens. He gets these like asthma things. And um, now hang with me and wait for it, because this is going to, it's going to go right into not only our scripture, but right in perhaps to your story. So I get up at 3.45, and I am, I'm already an early riser, like 4.30, 4.45, I'm up. So after 3.30 or 3, it's like, it's done. So I get up, and um, now remember, how did I go to sleep? A little grumpy. Um, so I get up less than three hours later, and we've had multiple nights of this, by the way. So I get up less than three hours later, and I trudge out, and I get this little nebulizer, and it's, he's got like this albuterol and this um, steroid that he has to take in an inhalable form. And so I start trudging up our stairs, and about halfway up the stairs, I, I just break down. I just cry. I just cry. It's like I grabbed a knee on my little railing, and I'm like, Father, I have been wrestling diabetes with two little girls for 16, almost 17 years. And now we're wrestling with this, like, breathing thing. And, I, and I'm, I'm torn somewhere in it all. Like, I'm in this conversation with the Lord, my own little prayer. Um, and I'm holding my little apparatus and holding my railing on the other hand. And I'm torn somewhere in between defensive for Abby and I, defensive and concerned for our kids, and then just having my own self-pity parade. You ever had those? I'm convinced, by the way, that a self-pity parade is the enemy of all that the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life. And there's no worse place to be because I don't think you're able to hear or see or sense what the Holy Spirit of God is doing or saying or how he is leading. And it's not that there's not compassion, but when you get stuck in that cycle, you can't believe in the goodness of God and the love of God, and you're unable to even filter and understand what he might be doing. Does that make sense? So I'm on my stairs, and I... I, I'm, I stand back up. I got tears streaming down my face, which I, if I cry, I usually do it in a little back secret room. Um, so so I'm, I'm sitting there crying, and I'm walking up the rest of the stairs, and I'm going into Ezra's room. And it's like I felt, I don't often hear, or um, I, I wouldn't be, I would never stand in front of you and say I hear the audible or, or the, the, the spoken word of God a ton. But I'm walking into Ezra's room, and I, it's like I have this um, sense in my heart that God says, Michael, I, and not only I, but this is my pursuit of Ezra. And I'm like, what? So, I, you know, I pick Ezra up, and I walk over to his little rocking chair, and I plug in the nebulizer, and I put this little treatment on him, and I get him laying on my chest, and he looks up at me and says, Dada, would you sing to me? And I'm a terrible singer. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm a terrible singer, but I'm very sincere. <laughs> and I sing in one key. It's like, <laughs> I mean, really. And so I'm sitting there holding Ezra, and I just start singing. I just start worshiping. And we're actually about to read about a text where people are caught in their own prison, much worse than mine. Um, they start singing. So in this moment, I'm holding Ezra, and the treatment takes like 20, 25 minutes. I'm just holding him, and I just start singing. I only know like 16 songs or something. And so I'm singing through these songs, and every time I quit, Ezra looks up at me and says, Dad, will you sing? And so I just keep singing. And so what happens is all of a sudden, my self-pity parade begins to exit. 
My defensiveness for Abby begins to exit. My defensiveness for my kids begins to exit. I begin to shift my gaze from on my circumstances to on the Lordship of Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, I find myself like thanking him. And little Ezra has fallen asleep in my arms. And, and all of a sudden, the perspective shift inside of me allows me, and, and I even get this sense or this nudge inside of me that, Michael, not only is this my pursuit of Ezra, but, Michael, this is my pursuit of you. I'm like, okay. And I'm sitting there having this Holy Spirit moment, you know, in the middle of the night with tears coming down. And I start thinking, I am going to miss the days when I get to hold my little boy in my arms. And I get to sing to him and I get to worship to him. And I'm, it just became this like special, wonderful perspective shift. And my own acknowledgement that currently God is using this difficulty in Ezra's life to pursue him. God is using the difficulty in Amelia's life to pursue her. God is using the difficulty in Abby's life to pursue her. And God is using the difficulty in my life to pursue me. And to complicate things, I'm preaching on it this Sunday. Which is the way God always is with me. I have to live under the holy overshadowing of the word before he ever lets me get up here and talk about it. So let's open this up uh, and let's filter 1 John, or let's filter Acts 16 rather through 1 John 4.19. We love him, God, because he first loved us. Starting in verse 11 of Acts 16. From Troas we put out to sea. Now who's a uh, quick recap? Anybody remember who this we is? We got Paul, we have Silas, um, we have Dr. Luke who's authoring it, and we have a new young guy named Timothy. Okay, somebody remembers. Way to go. So from Troas, we set out to sea, and we sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi. Now, what you don't know, and I think it's very important right here, is Philippi, it says it in the very next verse in my Bible, I'm reading it in NIV, but it's a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. Now, this is the dividing line to Europe. So I would say to you with unequivocal certainty that the Holy Spirit has had in his heart and mind all along that he would lead Paul and his little band of merry men, if you will, um, and take the gospel into Europe. Okay, so that is what is happening here. So we are now enter Europe, a Roman colony. This is a huge, famous city of the day, wealthy city of the day, um, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, when Paul goes into a city, what is the first place he goes to preach Jesus? The synagogue. Now, there's no synagogue in Philippi, which is very interesting. So the number of God-fearers is very low in Philippi. The number of Jews is very low in Philippi. There aren't even enough of them to have an informal synagogue. And in a city where there's not enough to have an informal synagogue, a lot of times the few God-fearers or Jews who often gathered together um, would gather on a riverbank. So that's what's going on here. So Paul goes outside, and he expects to find a place of prayer. He sat down, and he began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. That's another way of saying God-fearer. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's 
message. That is so important. Um, Point of clarity right there before we open up on Lydia. Um, You did not come to Jesus. Jesus came to you and you chose to respond. You hear me? Why do we love God? Because he loved us. If you're in here today and you're a doubter, an unbeliever, an atheist, you're struggling, you're here uh, in response at some level to the tug and the pulling of God. And I, I love this little text here because it said, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. I mean, beautiful, beautiful um, sort of uh, just point of clarity there. If we opened up and looked um, at John Calvin, he would actually say this is effectual calling. So, so what effectual calling, let's put it in like normal people terms, um, but it's when God sovereignly calls a person to himself. It's very different from like um, verbal calling or hearing of the gospel. Um, but this is when uh, the king of kings, um, the world's rightful sovereign, um, calls a person person and brings them to the place where they choose to respond to him. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we have happening here is God has drawn someone, Lydia, to the place um, where she now is going to respond to him. Now what I love, like let's just set that aside for just a second. What I love here is the first European to come to Christ is Lydia. And to further make complicate things or beautify things maybe, um, she is a dealer in what? Purple. Now, I'm not going to open this up too much, but let's just, just open it just a touch. Um, purple in this day and age um, came from um, the ground-up shellfish, the purple in a shell. Um, and it is so hard to get. It was so hard to harvest, and then it's hard to dye. That purple is so expensive. So she is likely one of the wealthiest people in um, the entire uh, city of Philippi. So let's keep going. Verse 15. When she and the members of her household... now. She and the members of her household. You could argue, I would actually argue, that she therefore is the head of what? Her household, which probably means, knowing this day and age, that she was once married and what likely happened? He probably died. So Lydia was probably married. She's probably lost uh, a husband. Now, I I want you to begin to imagine this story. So this thing is unfolding, and the Holy Spirit of God has been preparing Lydia for a lifetime Right, Even in the difficulty, in the loss of a spouse, the Holy Spirit of God is working in Lydia's heart, working in her life. He has appointed her and elevated her to perhaps one of the most wealthy people in the entire city, a flourishing city of Philippi. She's a dealer in purple. And if we went back to the Exodus, if we looked at the color they hung on Jesus when they crucified him, and if we look here, we actually take our definition of purple as a royal color from how expensive and hard it was to get. So she is this wealthy, super successful entrepreneur entrepreneur, businesswoman who has um, risen to become the head of her household through the loss of her husband, okay? So a woman of huge standing and success and high respect in the community, and she's a God-fearer. Now, begin to translate because God has sovereignly worked um, in her heart, in her life, and has brought her through loss, through pain, through difficulty, through success, through joy, through even lifting her up perhaps financially. He has brought her through all of these things to this place where her heart is ready to respond to who? God. So, so I used to have this mentor that would say, hey, Michael, pretty soon or someday, um, preparation is going to meet opportunity. 
And I want you to even begin to think about the heart preparation in Lydia, um, the the preparation the Holy Spirit of of God has done and begun to do in Europe, and then come uh, enter Paul and Timothy and Dr. Luke and Silas. So pretty soon, um, the sovereignty of God is working on all these different ends, and suddenly um, God opens Lydia's heart as Paul preaches down by this river, and she gives her heart and life to Jesus. So we could actually go today to a Greek Orthodox church that marks where Lydia gave her heart to Jesus and where she was baptized um, in Macedonia. We could really go there. I wish I could take you there this morning. But I want you to begin to see the legacy of Lydia, the, the history of Lydia, if you will, as God's sovereign love to bring her to the place where she responds. Now, switch metaphors for just a second. Ezra with the breathing treatment. If God chooses to allow my little Ezra, our little Ezra, to have this thing, it is because he is sovereignly working in Ezra's little heart to bring him to the place where he responds. You follow me? So this is the will of God. Is it the will of God that Ezra is sick? No. Did God cause him to be sick? No. Did God allow him to be sick? Yes. And is God going to use that sickness for Ezra's ultimate good and God's ultimate glory? Absolutely. And here's the invitation. If you will begin to abide in him, trusting in him, perhaps like Lydia losing a spouse, um, perhaps like Ezra with a little breathing treatment, whatever it is in your journey, if you will begin to trust in him, abiding in him, what you will discover is that he is using every single circumstance in your life, good, bad, and difficult, to pursue you and to bring you not only into the kingdom, getting you saved, if you will, or born again, getting heaven then into you, getting you into eternity, Um, with him in heaven, but also transforming and beginning to invite you into the fullness of who he created you to go do and be. Does that make sense? So we can begin to even argue that if God didn't allow certain things that you and I wouldn't step into the fullness of who he's called us to become. Does that make sense? So what I'm even beginning to propose is the pursuit of God allows you and I to take a big deep breath and journey through whatever difficulty or triumph or joy or pain you are in because God is using it for your ultimate glory and his ultimate good. Excuse me, your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. Amen? Okay. Was... Was the invasion of Europe with the gospel in the mind of Paul? Not really. He didn't even know what Europe was. Um, was um, the invasion of Lydia's life in the mind uh, with the gospel in the mind of Lydia? I don't think so. It is the invasion of Ezra's little life um, with the gospel and the saving relationship with Jesus in his mind. No, but the, the power and presence of God is at work even when we don't see and know and understand. It was interesting, and I'm gonna, um, this is like a, a parallel flip, so just go with me for just a second here. But um, I, I read a guy who uh, argued that because um, there, were, uh, there were water cisterns in the Middle East, so when Moses led the people out of Egypt, they're in slavery in Egypt, the book of Exodus, if you want to read it, he led them into the desert, and they wandered around the desert, and there were underground channels of water cisterns that periodically Moses would touch a rock or he'd pray for something, and out would come water. So this person actually argued that because God did that, in other words, he just brought Moses to places or the Israelite people to places where water cisterns were already present, that God wasn't supernatural. 
And I went, hang on a second, hang on a second. Now, if our God stands outside of time, and if he knows that Moses is going to be at a certain place at a certain time with several million people, and if in his foreknowledge, standing outside of the beginning and the end of time, he is able to put a water cistern into place to provide water for several million of his people, and if that water springs forth at just that right moment, to me that is almost more miraculous than if he just made water appear out of the dry ground. Here's what I'm saying to you. Flip it back to Lydia. Flip it back to Ezra. Flip it back to you. Here's what I'm saying. God has sovereignly allowed and orchestrated things in your life. And if, like me perhaps, you will stop fighting and living in a self-pity parade and begin to stand up and acknowledge his lordship, begin to even allow um, him to to, uh, sift you and let you see through a kingdom lens and kingdom eyes, you can begin to grasp that there is a bigger story unfolding than what you and I can grasp and understand. And when we downshift, and it's so easy in the holidays, I want to say, to downshift into sort of a self-pity in hurting and even a navel-gazing sort of way. And I want to caution you, even though some of you are under great difficulty, great stress, great challenge, um, great pain some in some situations due to your own choices and other situations due to things that you had no control over. But no matter where you find yourself, if you will begin to look and allow a kingdom lens to fall over your mind, perhaps beginning even to worship him um, as I did, you may find the goodness of God and the larger kingdom of God unfolding before your very eyes. Now, here's the bad news. Sometimes that doesn't happen for a while. And you got to trust. That's what faith is. You just got to trust. And you put one foot in front of the other, one breathing treatment after the other. Go down to the river, like Lydia, to a place of prayer. You know, Lord, why did you take my husband? Can you imagine how Lydia felt on this day? Why'd you take my husband? I'm left alone. I don't care how wealthy I am. I don't care that I live in an effectual palace. What in the world? And yet God in his foreknowledge has called Lydia and even prepared maybe a palatial-like home so that she can actually house the what? The church in Philippi. So from the fullness of time, God sovereignly reaches in and he's preparing Lydia's heart and her life and her household and her servants and even the palatial home in which she lives. And he grabs someone at the very upper crust of society and he brings her into the kingdom and she becomes the very first person to come to faith in Europe and thus a beachhead into all of Europe is established. And ultimately, fast forward a number of years, um, you will actually have the first and the second great awakening coming out of Europe and the 13 colonies. I mean, what would have happened if Lydia did not respond and then think of the foreknowledge and work of God in her heart and life so that she was prepared and at a place where she would have? And let's even ask this question. What if Lydia had not lost that husband or had not gone through some of the suffering? Is it possible that she would not have been ready to respond? Yes. Okay. Let me say this, and then we'll keep reading. You cannot choose most of your life. How many of you know that? You cannot choose much of your circumstances. You cannot choose much of your suffering. However, make no mistake, with your internal choices, you're either going to make things much easier or much more difficult. And you're either going to embrace a kingdom perspective or you're going to downgrade into your own hurt and bitterness and turmoil and perhaps self-pity. Okay, let's keep reading. 
Verse 16. Uh, oh, I think I skipped a couple. Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from uh, a city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And thus not only launches the first believer in Europe, launches the first church in Europe at some beautiful, probably palatial home in Philippi. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. Now what city are they still in? Philippi, okay. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Okay? She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So um, this is probably similar to any type of slavery, even modern sex slavery. I mean, they are you have someone who is using her and profiting off of her. Okay, so th- this is a, um, an abused, the way I read the text in the Greek, I would suggest she's a younger woman, so she is an, an abused and an enslaved younger woman. So let's just go back a second. First person to come to Christ in Philippi is Lydia, very upper crust. Second person that at least encounters Christ, and we'll wrestle this one in just a second, is now a slave girl. Okay, let's keep going. I love how God works. We were met by a female slave. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. I mean, she's speaking truth, isn't she? Verse 18, she kept this up for many days. And what do you think Paul's gonna do? Remember, Paul's got a little bit of a short what? Fuse, a little bit of a short temper. He gets aggravated easily. Okay, so finally, Paul became so annoyed grieved. Um, you could even argue, and there's different takes on this from commentators, but you could even argue that he, he that is moved with compassion, but he is deeply, deeply disgruntled. And I, I have like a mixed view on it. Part of me wants to go, well, they could have all looked at Paul being annoyed and gone, oh, great, here goes again. Just like he did with Barnabas, he's going to have a... Or they could have actually recognized this deep compassion welling up inside of Paul, and you can take the Greek either way. But regardless, he becomes so agitated in spirit that he turned around and he said to the spirit, so there's like an evil spirit living inside of her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And what happens? Spirit came out. So what are, what are her owners going to do? So what is enabling her to accurately predict and foretell the future, this spirit living inside of her. Okay, and if this is new to you, if you're like, whoa, hang on a second, there's, the, you know, there, there's dark spirits of darkness. Yes, there's spirits of light. There's, there's a um, Lord of darkness, lowercase l. He is, a, he is not equal and opposite of God, but you have God Almighty. Um, you have a fallen angel named Lucifer, and he has some dark angels um, who this, we're experiencing one of them here. Okay. So, uh, verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, you want to know what's in a man heart, man's heart or a woman's heart? Just touch their business or the way they make money and you'll find out. Uh, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar. Is that true? Maybe a little bit true. Is it fully true? Probably not. A little exaggeration too. Okay, 21. 21. 
by advocating um, customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. They're trying to leverage the Roman um, Philippians uh, in the city of Philippi. They're trying to leverage the Roman leaders to turn against Paul and Silas, probably ultimately to kill them. So the crowd uh, joined in the attack, verse 22, against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. I mean, this is, this is surly. Um, they would have been stripped, probably except for a loincloth. They would have been chained over something, and they would have been beaten uh, with rods, possibly rods soaked in water that would have rattled around when it hit them. So they're beaten probably until there's no skin left on their back, so these guys are bloody. They're probably within a few inches of their life. Um, they're hurting. They can't walk. Um, so verse uh, 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into where? Now, this is like an air-conditioned room with TV and a toilet and three squares a day, right? No? Okay, so this is dank. This is cold. It's rat-infested. You know, there is no indoor plumbing, so sewer's just right there sitting on the floor next to them. Like, this is a nasty experience. It is unsanitary. And these guys are both fully, like, um, bleeding, and they, they can't even probably lay down. They also probably can't even sit down. So they are stuck. And now let's keep reading. They're thrown into prison. The jailer was um, commanded to guard them carefully. Verse 24, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. In other words, he put them in the maximum security chamber. Okay, Most people would say that the stocks didn't just mean their feet, but it actually meant um, their feet uh, and their hands and likely their necks. Okay, so they had a, probably a wooden thing that went down and then a, a, a metal um, thing that clipped over their necks. Their hands are now and their feet are now and they're bleeding and they're in this dark, dank, nasty place. Rats and who knows what else is coming out and crawling on them. So do you want to be there? Okay, this is much different, let me just say, than my little moment on the stairs. Right? I mean, let's be honest, okay? Let's not overstate my situation. This is serious. But, hold that, can we all make parallels to being caught and stuck in prison? Some of our own making, some of what's happened to us, health, finances, you, you fill in the blank. I mean, we, many of us could relate at a distant level or a large level with being stuck painfully in something. Yes? Okay, so let that simmer in your own heart. They fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. Remember, Daddy, will you sing to me? (laughs) They're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So real traditional in Rome at the time that if the prisoner or the prison guard um, failed to keep whatever was ordered um, for the prisoner, they would actually do to the guard what was ordered for the prisoners. Does that make sense? So these guys were destined to die. So he was just going to go, well, I'm going to go ahead and kill myself. Okay, now watch what's next. Um, And let me say to you, um, sometimes in this life, what you don't do is more important than what you do. 
So when Paul, uh, in this moment, um, earthquake happens, prison doors flow open, the, the, the shackles that are on their wrists, perhaps neck and feet, all fall open. They, they can get up, and now what can they do? Run. They could all run. I mean, there could have been a big old stampede. So, but let's see what happens here. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights. So what did they do? They ran over and flicked the lights on, right? No, they're going to got to go out and get a torch and light another torch and light another torch. And then suddenly the whole, you know, the place is all torched up and and light is everywhere. And Paul shouts, verse 29, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now remember, these guys are probably bloody everywhere, which means they would have touched those wounds, probably touched their faces. So they are dirty, they are bloody, they are soiled. They have scabs that are now kind of forming. They are an absolute mess. And you have this, this jailer who is probably a brute beast of a man who was about to kill himself. Paul saves him from killing himself. And suddenly, Paul and Silas are like probably sitting on the floor of this little cell or trying to get up. And you have the jailer coming in going, sirs, what must I do? I do to be saved. Now listen to me, this is so powerful because God will use whatever prison you're in for your good and for his glory if you'll get out of the way and let him. But so many times we spend so much time like me on the stairs, and not a good cry is necessary. Cry and grieve and be in your difficulty and let the Holy Spirit meet you there. I think that's what was happening when Paul and Silas were singing. But make no mistake that at some point he is going to call you to rise up in whatever pain and difficulty and challenge and joy you're in, and he is going to call you to move forward. And if you will trust him with it, the very kingdom and power and person of Jesus will come upon you and allow you to rise up in and through through your difficulty and his greatest glory is going to be shown in your greatest weakness. It's really good news. It's really, really good news. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure if I could have preached at this moment. I don't know if y'all could have preached at this moment. Come on, they are so busted. And sometimes we are so busted up, we miss the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus because we're just so hurt. But what do they do? Well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You can be like us, beaten to a pulp. Did they say that? You know they're thinking it. I'm, I'm telling you, they're having, they gotta have a moment somewhere in there. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. So he takes them to his house and they share Jesus with everybody. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. It's so beautiful. He washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were what? Baptized. You get this beautiful picture of um, Paul is freed, um, and not only is Paul freed, but the jailer is freed from the shackles of sin and death, right? So freedom just comes. And then the jailer first takes water and washes the wounds of Paul and Silas and probably anoints them with olive oil and bandages them. So he does the washing first, and then Paul and Silas get up, and they baptize the man, washing him, demonstrating externally that he is being cleansed from his sin and resurrected to life in Christ. Now, while all this is happening, what is almost assuredly this jailer going to face in the morning when the magistrates get back to their office? Death. He's got the penalty and the pressure of death in his mind, and yet he is journeying forward step by step. Verse 34, um, 
the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. Same thing here. They're leading him through the Lord's Supper and appropriation of the body and blood of Christ, and he is feeding them. You get this beautiful give and take here. He was filled with joy because the Lord had, he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. So who's saved? The whole household. So now go back, just pause here for just a second. So when God plants a church, God's like, I'm going to establish a beachhead um, into Europe, and I'm going to plant a church, and I'm going to pick... Lydia, okay, upper crust, probably suffered a lot though, super wealthy, palatial house, okay, likely. Um, Then I'm going to take a slave girl and set her free. Now, I can't prove to you by the text that the slave girl came to Christ, but I would um, prefer to believe that the slave girl came to Christ, and in doing so, perhaps she took up residency and decided to hang out with Lydia, let's just hope that's what happened because the alternative is not good. Um, But let's assume for for the sake of the gospel and knowing the redemptive nature of the gospel, I believe she probably came to Christ. Um, So God picks Lydia. Um, Then at the very other end of the spectrum, he picks the slave girl. And then right in the middle of the spectrum, he picks the jailer. Now, how about an unlikely trio to go plant a new church? Come on. Somebody say amen. God can use me. That's what you need to say. God can use me. Okay. So his whole household gives their life to Jesus and looks like they've been baptized. Verse 35, when it was daylight. So when did all this happen? In the middle of the night. They're having an all-night prayer gathering. The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order to release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Now this is quintessential Apostle Paul, and I love it. Here we go. But Paul said to the officers, I mean, Paul bows up right here. As, as straight as his little crooked back and his beaten back could allow him. They beat us publicly without trial, even though we are... Roman citizens. So that being Roman citizens means that you cannot, um, you cannot um, punish and you cannot try, you cannot discipline a Roman citizen without first going through a formal trial. So let's keep going. <clears throat> they threw us into prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. No way. Let them come themselves and escort us out. So Paul is threatening them. I mean, Paul is shaking the house. Okay, the officers uh, reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, afraid, scared. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison. They're being nice to them. They're giving them some clothes. They're giving them some food. They're giving them anything they need because they're scared to death. Verse 40, after Paul and Silas come out of prison, what's it say? Oh, they went back to Lydia's palatial house where they met with the believers and encouraged them. And then what? And then they left. God's pursuit of Lydia, God's pursuit of the slave girl, God's pursuit of the Roman jailer, God's pursuit of an entire city, God's pursuit of the continent of Europe, God's pursuit of Paul and Silas, and then get this, God's pursuit through Paul and Silas. That's the ultimate invitation. God is not only pursuing you, but after you hit a point of maturity in your own journey, all of a sudden, if you allow him, God will upgrade you in some way, and he will begin to pursue other people through you. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. God is, I would say to you, pursuing in all circumstances. A couple application points. Worship team, you can come on back out here. You might be today in a dungeon of your own making. You might be in a dungeon due to circumstances that have nothing to do with you. Either way, what's the application? Start worshiping. Remember Ezra. Daddy, will you sing to me? What do you think the Holy Spirit of God was saying to Paul and Silas as they're buckled, hand and feet, neck? Worship me. Because if you will begin to worship God, no matter what the circumstances you're in, he will begin to not only break you free, he will begin to impart to you a greater understanding of what he is doing, why he is doing it, how he's allowing it, and he will upgrade your situation into the most glorious kingdom of God perspective. It might take a while. You might not get this overnight. It might take years, but you be faithful. You put one foot in front of the other. Did Paul know he was creating a beachhead for Europe? No. Did Lydia know that she was going to house the first European church in her home? No. Did the slave girl, did the jailer know that they were being put together like as a lead team, an elder team, so that they could lead a, a church, the first church in Europe? No. Did it, even at this point the apostle Paul know that he was going to be used to pen the majority of the New Testament? No. But they put one foot in front of the other through the pain, through the difficulty, through the suffering. And lo and behold, the kingdom of God resurrects them out of their dungeon, out of their difficulty, lifting them out of the shame, lifting them out of the difficulty. The redemptive work of God is activated in their life and they begin through the infilling power of God to become instruments by which God not only pursues them and lifts them, but now he works in them and through them to establish more churches and reach more people and love on more people and become the very hands and feet and face of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You might be in a dungeon of your own making. Start worshiping. Start worshiping and let praise make the breakthrough. Second thing, today might be the day where your preparation Lydia's preparation, slave girl's preparation, Roman jailer's preparation, Ezra's preparation, Paul and Silas preparation. Today might be the day where your preparation meets the sovereignty of God and meets with human opportunity. And if this is your day and you've never given your heart to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, don't walk out of here without surrendering your life to him. Okay, one group, another group. Today might be your day of preparation where you stop sitting in your dungeon and you go, today is the day where I'm gonna trust in the goodness of God and I'm gonna stand up and go, I don't understand it and I don't like it and my back hurts and my feelings are hurt. And like Lydia, maybe I've lost a spouse. I've been through who knows what or like the slave girl, I've been abused or like the Roman jailer, I'm facing certain death, even health stuff. But this is the day that I'm gonna stand up on my feet under the power of the living Jesus and I am gonna declare that he is good and I'm gonna worship and I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna believe that he he is going to become a beachhead of hope and life and joy in me and through me. Because that's what the gospel says. That's Jesus. That's the good news of what he wants to do in you and through you, in Lydia, in Paul and Silas, in the slave girl, in the Roman jailer, in Ezra. Like, latch on to this church. Amen. Prayer team, if you guys would make yourself available across the front, we'd love to pray with you.
These aren't superstars, by the way, any more than I'm a superstar. They're just people that love Jesus. And if you want someone to pray with you, come on up here. Just say, pray with me. The other thing is perhaps you need to get out of your seat and just come worship up here during this closing song and choose to worship in your dungeon. Choose to break out of what, you, what is happening and choose to just worship him in the middle of wherever you're sitting. The other group that may be here is if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never been born again, if you have never exchanged your brokenness for the life of Christ, then come up here and one of us would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Are you ready to worship? Come on, let's stand up and let's worship big. And I'll close this in prayer in just a minute. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will see of the goodness of God. You have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have darkest nights you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God all my life you have been All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, running after me Your goodness is running after running after me with my life laid down i surrender now i give you everything but your goodness is running after running after me let's do it again your goodness is running after running after me your goodness is running after running after me with my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, Your goodness 
up in faith All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God. Father, I would pray on this day that there would be some Paul and Silas's in the room who feel like they're in a prison. And Father, I pray that they would choose to worship and magnify you even in it, not understanding that they would experience the life-changing power and the resurrection power of Jesus breaking through. Father, I pray there'd be some slave girls in the room who are caught in something. Slave boys, slave men, slave women that are caught. Lord, I pray that you'd set them free today. Father, I pray that there'd be some Roman jailers, sturdy middle-class citizens that you want to resurrect change and use their influence to lead a whole group of people. Father, I pray that there would be in this church people that are called to lead new beachhead movements that would establish your kingdom, your will, and your way on the earth. Father, I pray that as we go into the Christmas season, a time that is both beautifully joyful and beautifully painful, that you would meet us powerfully. Father, would you allow us to be more deeply and intimately acquainted with your voice, your word, your presence, your love, your life. Father, I pray that the redemptive work of God would be tangible in our lives. And that not only would you resurrect us with you, but you would work in us and through us. Father, you are good and we praise your holy name. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need special prayer, we'd still love to pray with you. We're going to linger a few minutes. We're back here next week. Don't forget to sign up for our Christmas Eve services. We love you. Thank you for listening today and being part of the Saltbox online community. If we can pray for you in any way, please leave us a comment below or connect with us through saltboxchurch.com. Remember, just Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less.